morning. So we're going to carry on with our series. We're looking at um, sort of like the last part of that um, series, really. We're looking at relationships with marriage, sexuality, singleness. And I want to talk about singleness this morning. Um, acknowledging it's probably not something we talk about in the church a whole lot, um, but that we should. Because actually singleness, being single, is actually on the rise. So depending where you look and what statistics, um, um, you always have to interpret statistics, but about... It's about 50-50. For the first time a couple of years ago, actually, there were more people who were single um, than were married. You know, people are getting married later. People are choosing not to get married. Um, divorces increase. So culturally, there's a big shift. More people are single for longer. Um, and interestingly, do you know Manchester is the big, has the biggest proportion of Britain's 17 million single adults? The biggest proportion live in Manchester. 55% of Mancunians are single, apparently. Um, but here's the thing that's interesting, that whatever you look at sort of the, the stats nationally in terms of the, the proportion of people who are single, they, they don't really line up in the church. There is a lower proportion of single people in the church than there is out there, which tells us that possibly we're not, we're not doing a killer job at making church somewhere where single people feel like I'm in and I can be. Um, and so we, you know, we, want, we want to say, okay, what are, we, what are we saying? What are we celebrating? How are we making genuine connection and community possible? Um, whether you're old, young, male, female, single, married, with kids, without kids, how are we doing a better job at that? So that's what we're going to look at this morning and, and acknowledge that where we haven't always done that, where we have unintentionally or unwittingly said stuff or done stuff that, um, that is unhelpful or hurtful in any way to people who are single, we're really sorry and we're really committed to kind of figuring out how we can do it better. Um, one of the reasons, there's lots of reasons why it's important. It's because it affects lots of people. But I think building on from last week, and if you're, if you're jumping in with us this week, kind of apologies. We've been on a bit of a journey, and so um, we are building on things one week to next. But we're looking last week at, at Genesis, and what does the Genesis narrative tell us about, about marriage relationships and sex relationships? But, and here's the thing. You know, if we're kind of going to land on, okay, you know, it, it, you know, it seems to me that the, the Genesis narrative and what God sets up in Genesis and how Jesus affirms that in Matthew would indicate that God's plan for marriage is that it's between a man and a woman. If, if that's, what, if that's what, what the Bible says, then, listen, we've got to figure out that actually if you are a Christian who is same-sex attracted, um, then then singleness may well be your, your journey. And so we've got to make sure that we're talking about and, and fostering a community where singleness is plausible, possible, purposeful, and fruitful. Like, and I don't want you to hear that it's something that is inflicted on you by, by God or by the church or any of those things, but actually we've, we've got to kind of figure that stuff out. Um, and we're going to pick up that conversation about kind of same-sex attraction relationships in, in future weeks. Um, but we've got to figure that out. Okay, okay, if that's what the Bible's saying, if that is God's standard, then... Okay, then, then singleness matters. And likewise, the second question we asked last week is, do you have to be married to have sex? Um, and the answer we found was, yeah, I think the Bible does say that. So, so we have got to have a grid for intimacy, deep friendships, and connection that isn't sexual or romantic, so that those people who are single feel fulfilled. Make sense? So it really matters. And so I want to look at... Um, oh, oh, it's there. I'm on Phil's iPad today. I suddenly thought I've only got one page of my notes. That wouldn't be good. So we're going to really look this morning at is singleness good? And now that is not the same question as in is singleness easy? Um, but I want us to kind of maybe kick against some stuff where maybe have we seen it as a problem? Maybe, you've, maybe you are single and you feel like it's a problem, something that needs to be solved or it's something you have to endure. Um, or, or is it possible for us to see it as a gift? You know, is it for a, you know, a life situation to be received that can absolutely be full and purposeful? Um, and listen, it's really important that married people and single people hear this because we have all got a part to play in making 
making following Jesus as a single person um, something that is flourishing, that is fruitful, that is purposeful, and that actually that could be a reality, not just that some worthy sounding rhetoric and that sounds great in theory. Actually, we've all got a part to play uh, actually making that a reality. So I want to look um, briefly um, at, at kind of what does the Bible say about singleness and have a quick look at the difference in sort of the Old Testament, Old Covenant and the New um, and this is, listen, this is very whistle-stop tour, so forgive me. We're going to get, you know, the, I'm not I'm going to pick out a few things. But the overall picture in the Old Testament, so when we, you know, we see the story through the Old Testament of God's covenant promises to the people of Israel through Abraham and then repeated um, in other generations, often um, covenantal blessing, fruitfulness, fullness, the promises of God often came attached to literal, physical, practical things. So actually it looked like, so increase looked like marriage, children, descendants, land, crops, like actual stuff, right? So, and there is, you know, God, when God lays out the covenant before Israel, he says, hey, listen, you get to choose. His blessings on the one hand and his curse on the other. And this is under the old covenant. Um, and, and blessing is his children, his marriage, his family. And so while it doesn't specifically say singleness is bad, the context that it was in is that actually it's not fullness, it's not blessing. You could hear that message through it. Um, but, but everything changes with Jesus. So that was, that was the culture and the context and certainly in a very family-orientated culture that like marriage and children was absolutely expected. And to not be married and have children was seen as less than and lacking um, but everything changes with Jesus. So there's really two really fascinating bits in Isaiah. So Isaiah was a prophet, a man who heard from God 700 years before Jesus was born. And, and in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, there's this really famous, well-known passage where he's basically speaking about Jesus, this one who's coming, this suffering servant who's going to have many offspring. And then in Isaiah 54 to 56, um, it's this forward-looking, um, it's looking forward to a, a new day, a new kingdom, a new covenant. And it's full of these amazing promises of blessing, of peace, of increase, of restoration, um, where, actually where everything is different. But he speaks very specifically to, I think, who we can understand as single men and single women. So in Isaiah 54, it says this, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. So I don't think it's just, so it's you who never bore a child and who doesn't have a husband. So that's talking, I think, to single women and prophesying that they could sing and have more children. And it goes on. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your states. Stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. So, so this woman, these women, this group of people who Isaiah is prophesying over are still single, still don't have children, but everything is different. And listen, we love verse two in the church, right? How many times have you had enlarge the place of your tent prophesied over you, right? We love that verse. But we need to be aware, actually, it's initially spoken over single women, Actually, this promise of descendants, of fruitfulness, of family is spoken to single women. Um, Isaiah 56, similarly, it says this, but this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them 
I will give my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Now, we need to be a bit careful. How do we interpret eunuchs? Like that's not a, that's a, not a common thing in, in this context. And in, in ancient cultures, in it, really it's referring to the, the ancient practice of castration, which wasn't part, for Israel, that wasn't a thing, that wasn't acceptable. But for a lot of the cultures around them, it, it absolutely was. Um, but it's, and often, actually, they were, it, they were servants in a, in a household with quite a high standing, quite a high position, um, but nonetheless, if you, if you look in the Old Covenant, actually there was a, there was a separation. Like eunuchs weren't able to come into certain parts of the temple. And, but again, it's like Isaiah is prophesying to a group of people, and I'm not saying single men are eunuchs. I'm not, it's not an exact translation. We've got to be a bit careful with it. But, it's, but it's, a, it's a group of men who weren't married, who didn't have children, and so who in, would have felt and been seen as, and in some practical ways were slightly separate, slightly other, potentially less than. Isaiah is, is prophesying, God is speaking specifically to this group of men saying, I'm going to give you a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I'm going to, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So these men are still single. They still don't have children. And, and, and you know, for a unit, you wouldn't be able to have children. But there was something better promised. So essentially, it's, we see in these verses in Isaiah, this promise of blessing, of fullness, actually was to single men and single women. So in, this, in the new covenant, this is what Isaiah is doing. He's pointing forward to this suffering servant, who's Jesus, who's going to come. And, and from then on, there's a new kingdom, and, and everything is different. And actually, in this kingdom, worth, status, value, purpose, fruitful living is nothing to do with relationship status. And, like, and, it, and that's a radically big shift. So in simple terms, like in the old covenant, this sort of covenant blessing looked like family, children, land, crops, prosperity, more camels, like it, actual literal things. In the new covenant, it's spiritual children. It's the great commission, go make disciples. It's new birth, it's the kingdom of God, not a geographical land mass, and it's eternal fruit. Does that make sense? So there's a shift. So here's the thing. I'm saying all of that to say this. We need to make really sure that we are living in the new covenant and we have a new covenant understanding of singleness. And we don't actually kind of slide back into having an old covenant lens that is somehow being single is less than, is lacking, is incomplete. And it's, yeah, it's different in the New Covenant. So Jesus is the, is the perfect example in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. Jesus was a single man. The Bible is abundantly clear. Hebrews 4, he was tested in every way. He had every human need. And yet, it also says that he lived with more joy than anyone else. As a single, celibate man who was never married, who didn't have children, Jesus lived with more joy than anyone else who walked the planet. He is the perfect model of a full, flourishing, single life. So if there's anything that we, we, you know, almost we don't need anything else other than say, actually, if we're going to elevate singleness, we point to Jesus. Because that's the life that he lived. And he was born into the same culture that highly valued and expected marriage and kids. And yet he navigated it totally differently. We're going to jump into Matthew 19, which we looked at last week. Um, and we're looking at, it's, the context of this conversation is, is between Jesus and, and people who are saying, Basically, in that context, they could, uh, a man could divorce his wife by just saying, I divorce you three times. Um, and, there were, and there was sort of provision in the Mosaic law not to do that, but to divorce. And they're basically 
They're basically wanting to say, what can I get away with? Can I get divorced in that way? And, and Jesus comes back and, and pulls on the, the Genesis narrative, this understanding of, listen, no, you become one flesh when you're married. And, he, and then he makes this statement, the two become one and who God has joined together, let no one separate. So he comes in really strong and kicking against this sort of flippant approach to divorce. So that's the kind of context. So, and then we're going to pick it up in verse 10. So Jesus has just said, who God has joined together, let no one separate. And then verse 10 says this, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Basically, they're saying, I need an escape route. I need an out. You're saying that I'm in and forever in, that it's, that it's better not to marry than to be joined forever. I'm like, man, if I was one of the disciples' wives hearing that, I wouldn't be so chuffed. But that's their response. Really? If that's, if that's the truth, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus says this, and Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it's been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. I found this the most bizarre and confusing bit of Bible for years. I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, what, what does it mean? Um, and I don't, I don't in any way profess to have all the answers, but I feel like there's some stuff in there we can glean. It, but acknowledging it's, it is a bit tricky to interpret. I think on the one hand, it says this, Jesus is, having a, is elevating and obviously has a high view of marriage and singleness, but also acknowledging the high challenge of both. So I think, you know, he's... In verse 11, where he says, um, yeah, not everyone can accept this word, I think he's potentially pointing back to the bit about marriage and those God has joined together, let no one separate, and the disciples freak out and go, are you serious? It would be better not to get married if I don't have an escape route. And he's like, not everyone can accept this word, but to those who the word's been given, as in, you are, this is your husband, this is your wife, this is the word over you, to those the word's been given, you accept that. But I wonder whether verse 11 also points forward to what he's about to say about this funny passage about these, the, the eunuchs, these three types, those who are born, so for whatever reason, maybe unable to have children for whatever reason. Those who've been made eunuchs, and again, that's referring to the ancient practice of castration. But then this interesting, those who choose to live for the sake of the kingdom. So is he saying... I wonder, those who, who voluntarily choose to be single and celibate because they would see and, and believe, okay, well, this is what I feel like God's standard is for marriage and sex, and so I'm choosing to live single, and that means celibate, and that actually Jesus is saying, so actually, it's, it's not a mark of a curse at all. It's actually a mark of blessing. And then he, so he says this, this verse 12, the one who can accept this should accept this. I was listening to um, someone sort of unpacking this who said, I wonder if what Jesus is saying, rather than potentially what we maybe tell ourselves or whether we've heard in the church or in culture, well, if you can't find a husband or a wife, you'll just have to be celibate. Yeah, you'll have to be single. Yeah? If, if you can't find someone, you'll just have to be. Actually, is Jesus saying, if you can, then you should. And that it's good. It's elevating and honoring and valuing. Essentially, I think what it's doing is... He's restating and resetting people's view of and expectation that singleness is not less than. It's bringing a, a new covenant, a new kingdom lens to a life situation that affects an awful lot of people. 
1 Corinthians 7, and we're not for time, we haven't got time to unpack it in detail, but I would encourage you, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, really important chapters when we're thinking about marriage, singleness, and sex. Um, Paul has a similarly very high view of singleness. Paul was a single man, never married. Um, and, and he goes, he's very clear that he describes it as a gift. It's not a calling, not a cross to bear, not something inflicted on you. It's, you know, it was not the thorn in his side that he talks about elsewhere. He says it's a gift. And he even goes so far as to say, I wish all of you could be like me. He said, actually, it's good for those who are unmarried to stay single. He says it, he explicitly says, it is good to be single. Really high view of singleness. And listen, it's not that it's kind of, I don't want you to hear that there's, a, there's like a switch and then old covenant singleness is bad, marriage is good, and in the new covenant we flip it and suddenly singleness is better. And mar- it's not that at all. Both are valid and important and of incredible value. But both marriage and singleness are opportunities with unique challenges and blessings that come with both. We have to acknowledge that. And so we've got to figure out, okay, if... How do we navigate that? Say, okay, that makes sense in theory. I can see that the Bible would actually say, you know what, it's good. There's there's goodness in and for being single. Um, But listen, the reason, the only way I think any of that can be plausible and become reality for any of us, um, in any, whatever situation we find ourselves, um, is actually that we first and foremost find our contentment in Jesus. You know, I think the reason Paul could say, um, I wish you could all be like me. Like it's, it's better to stay single because you can just throw yourself into the things. Well, the reason he says that is because what he says elsewhere that says actually knowing Jesus is the greatest thing. Everything else is as rubbish. Because that is so true for him, then he can say, being single is great. I wish you could all be like me. And again, it's not that he's disparaging marriage because he, you know, he says very clear and directive things to married people if that's your life situation. So he's not saying marriage is wrong but he's just elevating singleness. But it comes out of this contentment, first and foremost, in Jesus. So I remind you, Colossians 2 is really important for us in this series. And I'm just going to literally just pull out verses 3 and 10. It says this about Jesus. For it's in him and him alone that men will find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's only in him. And moreover, our own completeness is only realized in him who is the authority over all authorities and the supreme power over all powers. For all of us, young, old, male, farewell, married, single, our completeness is first and foremost only found in him. Let me read this quote um, from a, a guy called Sam Albury, who's written a really good book. Um, he's a single guy and he's written a book called Seven Myths on Singleness. It's good. I'd encourage you to read it. He says this, the, conti- the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness into something that will satisfy us. It is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. The key to contentment as a married person is not trying to build a marriage that can make us content. It's to find contentment as a married person. I was realizing that as a Christian, there isn't anything ultimate I am missing out on by being unmarried. Marriage is a good gift from God but not an essential or necessary gift. What I most need, I already have in abundance. I was starting to find my contentment in Christ. Like that, that's the truth. That's the journey for all of us. And listen, it, we have, that has to land. That's got to look like something. And, and we have to you know, acknowledge that there's challenge in, in being single. There's challenge in being married. Um, but actually, first and foremost, we find our contentment in Jesus. Um, and for all of us, wherever we find ourselves. 
So what do we what do we do with that? Like what can we what can we do as a church community, as, as a kind of a family of people trying to figure out how we follow Jesus and love one another well? Now what? Um, I, I want to kind of just kick out there some. I wonder whether some myths that we've probably maybe unwittingly, maybe we believe, maybe we've accepted them, maybe we've expected them, maybe we're in some way unhelpfully um, continuing them and, and perpetuating them. So I'm just going to float these out there. The first is this, that being single means no intimacy. That's just not true. Um, and the, the problem is it's because we have fused romantic relationships and sex with intimacy. That is the ultimate and the only way you can ever really be intimate with somebody. And it, like, that is just not true, and that is unhelpful and unhealthy, whether you're married or single. Like, that's not true. We've, we've got to kind of separate those two things out and say, listen, our deep need as humanity to be known to be loved, to be accepted. Like that is a deep and good and God-given need for all of us, to know and be known, to, to have intimacy with people who know you. Like that does not equate to just sex. Like it isn't. We can be known outside of that relationship. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Four Loves. He says, those who cannot conceive friendship as substantive love, but only as a disguise or an elaboration of eros, which is romantic love, and betray the fact that they have never had a friend. It's quite a strong statement, but it, but it is. It's that actually, actually, can, do we? It's, when Harry met Sally, you watched it, and and Harry's statement at the beginning is brilliant. One of my favourite films. He's like, men and women can't be friends because sex gets in the way. It's like I can't separate out friendship with sexual intimacy, but it's not the same. We can have deep friendship and and know deep intimacy as a single celibate person. So one of the things we've got to do to kind of dispel that myth is, okay, we've got to get better at building friendship and family. And we're going to, we're going to really look at that in detail over the next few weeks. We've got to get better at that. Here's another myth. Singleness equates to loneliness, and married people aren't lonely. We had a brilliant conversation a couple of weeks ago. I kind of just, we gathered a whole load of kind of single people in our church family, and we just, for a conversation, um, and we just sat and talked, and, well, we didn't, we listened mostly, and said, tell us, talk to us about, about being single. And um, really interesting is that um, just, I was so proud of so many of you. So you're doing a really good job at, at just living full, purposeful, Jesus-filled lives as single people. It's brilliant. It was so encouraging. Um, but one of the things as we were talking, we were kicking it around, and there were, there were a couple of married couples there as well, is we, is we recognized actually the issue isn't singleness. The issue is loneliness, now, it is, it's potentially more of a challenge, and there are potentially some things that make loneliness perhaps more of a factor for a single person, but it definitely isn't the case. So there's this presumption that, well, single people are just are alone and will be lonely and just settle for that will always be. Equally, the presumption is that, you know, a married person isn't going to feel lonely because actually, you know, you might be here in a marriage and feel very lonely. So the issue is loneliness, uh, and so I think we've got to think practically and carefully about ways that we can help that. So some of the specific things our uh, single guys were telling us was, actually, do you know what? Um, after church on a Sunday and everyone goes home, that can be a time where it's like, oh, I get in the car on my own and go off for lunch on my own. I say, like, okay. So I'm just putting that out in the room and saying, do you know what? That's something we can do something about, all of us. Yeah? It's things like, you know, coming home after work, how was your day, debriefing, that, kind, that sort of thing. Oh, that's not there necessarily. Okay, what does it look like for us to meet that need? What is it to kind of, you know, if you're an external processor, what does that look like? What if your love language is physical touch? And, actually, and then again, it's not about sex, but physical contact. What does that look like? So we've got to figure that one out, right? 
But let me just put this out there. It is not true that you are you're destined for a life of loneliness if you're single. And it's equally not true that if you're married, you'll never be lonely. We've got to, we've got to figure out connection to sort that one. Here's another one. Singleness is easy. You know, we spent the first thing we did in, that, in our kind of conversation was say, tell us what are the positives, what are the good things. And, and you know, they had loads of the good and positive things about being single. You know, and I'm hopeful we've kind of, we can adjust things biblically to say, listen, the Bible has a very affirming and honorable view of being single. But I don't want, I don't want to not acknowledge that there are things about being single that are hard, that are painful. And I'm, please do not hear that I'm just saying, suck it up and be happy. Like, I, I'm not. I think I want us to, as a church family, acknowledge there are, there are aspects of being single that is difficult, where you have hopes and dreams of, of maybe marriage and kids and, you know, hopes when they're deferred, like, it, it, it makes my heart sick. Like, the Bible says that, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it, that is hard. And I think we have to find a way to give space to acknowledge and accept, yeah, do you know what? It's painful right now, but not falling into the trap of, you know, you will forever be alone and lacking. That's not it either. So I'm not, I don't want to be anyway putting the myth out there that singleness is easy. Um, because equally, marriage isn't easy. Here's another myth. Marriage is a reward for or a mark of spiritual maturity. No. Can I tell you the, exo- the reason I know that's for true? Because Phil and I got married pretty young, and we were no way spiritually mature and had our stuff together. Like, we really didn't. And I, I, I think with the danger is, we, with any of these things, actually, we can look to kind of give really rather thin, flippant answers to quite thick, complicated questions. I don't know why Phil and I ma- met and got married in our early 20s, and other people I know who are way more spiritually mature, way more you know, following Jesus, way better than I was in my early 20s, and yet haven't met somebody as yet. So I, like I, I want us to be really, really careful that we don't have that as a sort of, the reason you're not married is it, like, that's not it. Phil and I are the living examples of that's not it. I don't know what the answer is, but it's not that. So we, I, look, the, the journey I want all of us to be on is actually absolutely pursuing God, absolutely pursuing being mature in him. But actually, marriage is not a reward for or a mark of that. That is not how we see it, and so like, that's not what goes on around here. Okay? How about this one? Singleness is wanting and deficient, and so you need some kind of superpower to cope with it. I think this is if we have in our head that it, it's, we haven't, we feel like it's a sort of, it's a calling. It's the, it's the cross I have to bear rather than actually, can I adjust my lens so I could see it as a gift? Um, you know, it really is a lie that a, you know, romantic sexual marriage relationship is essential for flourishing. Like it, it isn't. And, I, and again, I'm not in any, I don't want to, we're not, not saying marriage and kids isn't a good gift. It is. But we've got to adjust things. But okay, but singleness can be a good gift too. Um, and you know, I think, you know, a lot of the people we were chatting with, our singles, were like, they're well on board with that. They're like, yeah, no, I'm there. I think often the problem is maybe in a, in a church context, it's often maybe us. Maybe us marriages are the problem. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, if we're in any way, can we, oh, poor you, you're not married yet. It's like, uh, in, no. So one of them, one of the ladies was sharing that she'd come forward for prayer to, you know, to respond at a ministry time to something specific that we were talking about and the Lord was doing um, and some, came forward for prayer. And, Again, I'm not, listen, there's not criticism or judgment here, but actually whoever was praying for her turned it around at the end and was like, actually then started praying into um, her being single and needing a husband and family. She's like, it's almost like, and, and now listen, it'd be well, I know it will have been well-meaning, but, but we need to be careful because when we do that, what we're saying is, 
you know, you might be coming after, actually, there's, there's this issue. I really need to trust God with my finances. Or actually, I really need breakthrough with this relationship. And actually, if we come in and pray for a husband and children, we're saying, actually, the problem is that you're single. The answer is going to be a husband, not Jesus and what he's calling you to. Because, like, that's not it. So we need, that's why I'm saying it's important for all of us to be on the same page. Actually, singleness is full and purposeful and fruitful. Marriage is a good gift. And absolutely, you know, we pray for marriage. We'll pray for children. But absolutely, we're praying for fullness as single people. And so, you know, if in any way you... It, I think it's, it's this... What it communicates is that I see you as your relationship status rather than who you are in Jesus. It's not helpful. It's not okay. So let's not do that. So we need to kind of just almost kick some of those myths to touch and say, do you want, no, around here, that's not how we see things. That's not how we do things. And so we've got to do some stuff different and we've got to do some stuff better. Um, And so my question to you is actually, what does that look like for you and I to take our place? One of the things we need to do is not presume we know where everyone else is at and we know what everyone else wants and needs. It was fascinating. One of the, as it kind of in this conversation is we realized that um, married people and single people um, and maybe married people with families, we were presuming maybe what other people wanted. It sounds like I'm making this a them and us. I'm not. But so someone was saying, actually, you know, as a single person, I I know kind of families really need their just protective time just with them. Um, And I was like, do you know what? No, actually, you can get invited into that family time. There's this presumption that you need huge amounts of this protected time. One of the other ones, someone was saying, actually, there's a, maybe a presumption that, you know, so when, I don't know, maybe you've got young kids. Well, my single friend is not going to want me and my two toddlers around their house because they're going to trash the joint. So you presume that of your single friend, whereas actually your single friend might be like, I don't care, bring it on. I'd love that. Likewise, maybe, you know, we think, actually, we don't, you know, we don't want to bring our single person into our kind of, you know, family chaos. And, but it's like, actually, it might be actually the chaos and the noise and the muddles and the tantrums of family life is exactly what your single friend wants to be invited into. Not the tidied up Instagram reel of perfect life. It is, we're going to Ikea. Do you want to come with us and have meatballs? The three-year-old will probably have a tantrum. And, you know, but do you want to come? We, we presume, I wonder if we maybe presume where, the other peop- where other people are at, we presume what they want, we presume what they need, and we, we almost make, we'd make a yes or a no without a conversation. So my appeal to all of us is, actually, what does that look like to do that differently? Not making presumptions, but ask. Actually, what do you need? How can I be invested in helping meet that need? And who is that? Here's the other thing. Listen, it can't, we can't all meet that and be that to everyone. Okay? In a growing church community, you've, we've really got to listen. Holy Spirit, well, who is it that who is it is, um, can bring into my life and my family? Acknowledging, listen, I gain an awful lot, and I'm encouraged, and I'm challenged, and I'm inspired an awful lot by single people who are part of my life and family. Massively so. I gain so much. My family is so much richer for having other voices and single people. It is. So, so let's not, please let's not kid ourselves that this is all about poor, poor single people. They need all of this from us. We need a lot from them as well. So you've got to lean in, Holy Spirit, who is it? Like, who are those relationships? Like, where, and where can we make a start? You know, where are the people we can reach out to? So who is it? Let, you know, having a ton of grace for one another, where we maybe haven't always got it right in the past, whereas it isn't, you know, where there may be bumps in the road, but have an awful lot of grace for one another. 
but be really intentional about it. None of these things happen without us being intentional. Stepping out, starting with a conversation, inviting someone out for a coffee, say, come and have lunch with us. Like, be intentional at the people God is kind of highlighting to you. Um, the, and, the, and the other thing is, actually, let's have hope. Let's have hope that actually God does want to do something to deepen and strengthen church, family, and connection in this community that actually would massively encourage and strengthen all of us. We all have so much to gain, and we all have so much to give. And I want to, you know, some of you feel like, actually, I haven't got anything to give. That is not true. You have stuff to give, and you have stuff to gain. So we have to walk with the Lord into figuring that stuff out. So whether it's kind of, okay, whether it's I need to go again, maybe it's whether I need to actually start. Let's be intentional about, God, how can I be committed to and connected to Married people, single people, older people, younger people, actually genuinely doing that together. And, and I, I want us to, in a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at actually how, what does that whole idea of the family of God, what does that actually look like and how can we take our place? All right? Okay. I would really love to pray for our beautiful single people. So I, I really, I'm saying, Phil, does that feel really condescending? Like, I really want to pray for you and bless you and say that we love you. Um, and so not because I see you as a, a project or because there's a pity party, but because we love you and we're believing for fullness and flourishing. So if you are single and if you feel comfortable, listen, you do not have to, but if you're single and you feel comfortable too, would you stand? Um, and we will pray for you. If someone is standing next to you, awesome. Right, Vine Life, church family, on your feet. I want you to stand, go and place your hand on your shoulder. Students, you lot, you might need to come out into the rows a little bit because you're all squidged. Spread out a little bit, otherwise not everyone's going to get to you. Um, and I want you just to pray. It doesn't, you don't need to know what to pray. You just pray, Jesus, bless them. Bless them with fullness. Bless them with purpose. Bless them with flourishing. If we can have some more people down here, that would be amazing. If you haven't got anyone praying with you, wave. Down here, a couple, please. At the back there. And some more in the middle aisle, please. Right. Just take 30 seconds just to pray blessing and fullness and flourishing and purpose and goodness. Bless them. If you don't know anything else to say, just say, Jesus, bless them. So Jesus, we love you. We love our church community, Lord. And I just pray for every person stood here, those people who are single right now. Jesus, we just speak your richest blessing. God, I ask that they would know how loved they are by you. God, meet with them, encourage them, lift them up, cover them, protect them, fill them, Holy Spirit. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.